This morning is Sunday. It is August 13th. It is 2006. And our title this morning is Mere Man Manor. Yes, friends, I've been watching Animal Planet and I've been watching the Meerkat Manor. Has anybody in here seen that show? All right, two of you. That'll make this sermon difficult. (laughs) Meerkats are these little creatures that are about 12 inches tall. They look a little bit like my dachshund, except a whole lot skinnier. They all weigh about a pound and a half or two pounds. And they're funny. They live in a community. They're very social. The things that are important to them are things like grooming and helping each other eat and stuff. But what is amazing about this show, Meerkat Manor, that made me think about men, is these poor little creatures are ruled by their natural instincts. There is no thought, there is no reason, and there is certainly no moving of God's Spirit in them. In fact, you know, the matriarch of this family is called Flower. And the episode that I watched most recently about Flower was called Flower Power. <laughs> Makes you wonder who's studying these little animals and, you know, came right out of Berkeley in the 60s. This creature is ruled by her instincts. If another female in the group gets pregnant and starts to have pups, Flower, more than jealous, her instincts begin to tell her, oh, that's going to split the available food by a few more ways. My pups might not survive. And she'll go kill the other pups. These cute, furry, beautiful little creatures would kill somebody else's offspring for no other reason than their instincts tell them to do so. As I began to think about that and I looked at their behavior, the way you recognize these meerkats is you can look in the distance and if you ever see a picture of them, they got their little hands perched up by their chest, you know, and their little heads are popped up and they're always looking in the distance. You know why they're always looking in the distance? They're always concerned about what's coming to them next. And I started thinking about people. A manor is a place where people dwell, where things dwell. They called this show Meerkat Manor because it's the story of the dwelling place of these meerkats. And I started thinking about people and where we dwell and in what ways the Scripture speaks of us as being mere. Turn with me to the book of Jude. The easiest way to find the book of Jude would be to get to the book of Revelation, the last book. By the way, that's Revelation, not Revelations. There is no S on it. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've heard that quoted more times on Fox News and CNN lately than I can count. Somebody alluding to the book of Revelation and they can't even get the title right. Let us get the title right. It's Revelation. Then you hang a left. Jude is the book just before it. Jude was a brother of Jesus. If you're Catholic, I'm sorry that that might offend you, but it's true. He was the brother of Jesus. And in the book of Jude we see something that is worth taking note. Those of you that have ever strived to begin to read the whole Bible, book by book, Jude's a great place to start. You can read it in about three and a half minutes. (laughs) It's one chapter in this book. But we're going to start in verse 16. Y'all in verse 16 with me? Y'all don't talk to me. You know the rules. I run out and cry and I'm broken. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others to their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you 
In the last times, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. I'm going to read you another verse in a minute, but I thought I would tell you about mere and what mere is. That's one of those English words that people throw around and say, hey, the price of the car was a mere 50 cents. That kid, man, he's just, he's a mere baby. And we don't really know what it means. We don't think about it. Webster and Yahoo both define mere as being nothing more than what is specified. Nothing more than what is specified. So if somebody follows their mere natural instincts, what does that mean? It means they don't follow anything more than just their natural base nature. Now, if you're studying animals, that's an okay thing. What else do they do? They're hungry, they eat. They want offspring, they do other things. They're scared, they hide. That's what they do. It's their mere natural instincts. But men created in the glory and image of God and filled with His presence, to be said that they followed their mere natural instincts, that's an insult, isn't it? There's another definition. It says, considered apart from anything else. If you say, you know, Joe, the mere idea of warfare makes me tremble. That's another use of the word mere. Not only do they follow nothing more than their natural instincts, they don't follow anything else along with their natural instincts. Is it wrong if a hammer is going to fall on your head for you to be scared and move out of the way? No. Is it wrong for you if you're on top of a, yeah, if a hatchet swinging at your knee? Is it wrong for you if you're on top of a ladder that's 40 feet in the air to have a healthy respect for the distance between you and the ground, right? No, that's not wrong. God gave us certain natural instincts for a reason, but there's a problem when those are what controls us. You want to put this to the test? Go to Luby's after church. Depending on the time that the services got out, you'll find every denomination known to me right there. Jesus Himself said, if you are struck on the right cheek, turn to the left as well. Right? That's not your natural instinct, is it? Well, let's put it to the test. Go slap a few people. See how they react. Buddy, you better duck. You better duck. He said, well, that's a natural thing. Men are just supposed to... Natural's not always right. There is a base nature in us that is absolutely fundamentally wrong. But it's what we're used to yielding to. Look what Jude says as an answer. But you, dear friends... Why do you think he says it that way? We're talking about some people who divide you. Men who do not have the Spirit. Men who are led by their base desire. Then he turns to the real church and says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, or trust is what faith means, and pray in the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a denominational church that had the most unusual interpretation of what that verse means. It means what it most obviously means. Pray in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables believers how to pray. If there are people that follow their natural base instincts rather than the Spirit, then we need to lean on the Holy Spirit to pray. So are you talking about speaking in tongues? Among many other things, I'm talking about speaking in tongues. I can't change that. That's what the Word says. If it makes our natural instincts uncomfortable, then 
Perhaps we need to consider it's time to push aside our natural instincts. Keep yourselves in God's love. Why does he say keep yourselves in God's love? Is that an easy thing to do? I was talking with somebody that I love very much. They love me very much yesterday. We're talking about our base natures, what you're inclined to do. You know, Corinthians 13, Adam and Lindsay put a list of these in their house. Awesome, awesome stuff. Love is this. Love is not this. Corinthians 13 defines it. Did you know that love always protects? Did you know that love always protects? Boy, is that natural? No, what is love? What does love to us? Love is, as Mandy does exactly what I want her to do, I'll love her. If not, I withhold intimacy. I withhold affection. All of those things. I'll protect Mandy as long as she protects me. I'll trust Mandy, oh, don't you like this one, until she gives me a reason not to. Come on. You've never heard that, have you? Never said that, have you? Oh, yeah, I have too. Oh, for the mercy of God, right? Those are mere natural instincts. They're in us. I love how we justify it. An old man in the car dealer one time told me after a guy smacked me across the face with an object because I told him I loved him. He said, remember, you only got two cheeks to turn. Boy, that sounded so good. It's just what I wanted to hear too. I could envision myself immediately using this other gentleman who had just smacked me as a pogo stick, you know? Stand on his ears and bounce on his head all over the parking lot. That's a mere natural instinct. Is it normal? Yeah, it's normal. Is it something that you can understand? Yeah, you can empathize with it. Somebody smacks you in front of a lot of people, there's something that rises up in you. Earlier in Jude, something that I did not read you, speaking of these same men, says, like brute beast, they follow their desires. You know what separates men of God from natural base humanity? We don't follow our natural instincts. We're called to a higher plane. We're not led around like dogs. You ever heard that men be faithful? How many studies have there been that suggest that infidelity is just a part of the male life? Boy, isn't that convenient. Have you noticed men don't sin anymore? There is nothing that we do that is wrong. It's either because of our childhood, our upbringing, our environment, or some chemical imbalance in our lives. We have a natural instinct that is not right. The reason that curtain was torn in the temple was to give you something else. So as Peter said, you could participate in the divine nature or character of God. We have to decide what we'll follow. Jude tells us, I want you to keep yourselves in God's love. That's because there's a natural tendency, a natural inclination in you to do something other than love. And it takes constant work. I love the word renew in the Bible. How do you renew something? Isn't that an odd phrase? is to use. The Bible says, renew yourselves by the washing of the Word, renewing your minds. Take off your old self. Put on Christ. What does it mean to be renewed? I mean, either it's new or it's not, right? Joel has either got on a new shirt or an old shirt, right? Not with our God. God is able to make that shirt new every day. I love that. You know why? Because I mess it up almost every day and I need to start again. But I have a new chance every day. 
if my natural instinct to snap back when somebody said something to me took me by surprise and overcame me, I have another nature within me warring with those base natural instincts. And I can get it right tomorrow. In fact, I don't have to wait till tomorrow. I can get it right the moment that I realized it. This is the body of Christ being moved by the Spirit of God, judging ourselves now so that we don't have a judgment awaiting us the day that we meet Jesus. Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Some of the harshest words to be imagined are written in the book of Jude. If you get into the literal text to call somebody a brute beast, I think one preacher said was like calling them a dumb donkey. Do you have to stretch or in your imagination to hear what that etymology of that phrase is? Yeah, how about that? Jude is harsh. Men who are talking about rain. Men who are that yield no fruit. Talking about people that look like they should look, but don't act like they should act. Now, is it too big of a stretch to say that you have met Christians like that? Oh, is it too big of a stretch to say that I have been a Christian like that? Probably not. When I look into the mirror of God's Word, I see every area that I need to repent and change. Turn with me to John 5. I love the way that Jesus addressed this issue. Mere. Mere is to be nothing more than what is specified. We're going to be in John for just a minute, so I encourage you to get to John 5. I'm going to read from a few different places in it. Tell me when you're there. Patricia and Mandy are there. Devin, you there? You're looking on with Natalie, huh? There you go. Good man. I'm glad you're here, brother. I care about you. I want to see you do well. Don't you love a small church? Isn't that great? I was one time in the balcony of a church, as far back as I could get following my near, mere natural instincts. And because I was in seventh grade and most of my life at the time was about exploring the mystery of the opposite sex, while this man was preaching, I was giggling and talking with some little girl whose daddy was a deacon. And we weren't very interested in what was going on. And about that time, that preacher looked up in the balcony. You know, there's a few thousand people there. He said, young man, Unfortunately, I knew he was talking to me. He said, I can make my way up there. <laughs> Whoa. In the right big church, you can't hide. <laughs> How about that? Y'all in John 5? All right. In John 5, starting in verse 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's what the kingdom's about, by the way. Leaving the power of death that you found in your base nature and moving into the power of life that you find in your new nature from God. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Before we get to my point here, how do you say a time is coming and has now come? Isn't that an interesting phrase? I say, hey, a time's coming when we'll eat fried chicken, Judah. And it's now come. What does that mean? 
means in Jesus speaking these words, some were coming alive because they heard Him. They believed Him. They were moved by Him. And there was a time coming when it would also happen in a more literal way. It was happening as Jesus was speaking, and it will absolutely happen at the second coming when people come out of their graves in bodies that will never die again. This phrase appears several times in the Gospel. You should pay attention to it when it happens. I've never stopped being amazed by preaching a sermon and I can see in some people's eyes there's life in others. There's sleep right through it, even if they're not sleeping. And I do the same thing. Lord, it is a hard thing to sit in those hard chairs and listen to some windbag spew out words over and over and over. But if you look closely, you can find life in the Word of God. Y'all ready for the next verse? For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. First, those who have done good will live, rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By Myself, I can do nothing. Here's the phrase I want you to get. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. Come on now, you've been in a workplace, you love the Lord with all of your heart, and so you're trying. You're trying. You're not manipulating the circumstances. You're not putting somebody in some stupid Christian sales pitch, but you're trying to get to know somebody. And as you get to know them and you're getting closer with each other, you go, you know, Charlotte, is it really such a good thing that you do whatever? What's, what's the phrase? The only verse most people can quote in the Bible that you get. Judge not! Judge not lest you be judged, right? They can't find it in the Bible. They don't know what came after it. They don't know what came before it. But it's a big security blanket that we've learned to wrap right around ourselves. Who are you to judge me? How many times have you heard that, right? Well, what is the answer? Does the Bible tell us to judge not lest we be judged? In the same measure that we use, it will be measured unto us? Doesn't the Bible say that? Well, what do you do with it? Does that mean that we walk around making no discernment, no judgments about anybody? Jesus said, I judge only what I hear. In other words, when I see you, the first thing... Oh, ladies, let's, let's pick on you for a minute. Cassidy. When Cassidy's sitting here and ladies all walk in the room, right? Not ladies she knows. A hundred ladies she doesn't know. What do ladies do to other ladies? If you're sitting in the cafeteria and Cassidy and Lindy are sitting there together and they're talking and a hundred ladies begin to walk by. Uh, look, Lindsay's with me back there. Yeah, she knows. Oh, my God. Did you see her hair? What? That doesn't go with that. That doesn't do that. There's a judgment that comes from a superficial reckoning of people's lives. You ever looked at somebody and the first thing you noticed was they had buck teeth? Or caps like mine? That happens when people keep hitting you in the mouth, you know? Which might be the result of things you keep saying. Don't ask me how I learned that lesson. There's a judgment that occurs from a mere natural appearance, from our base nature. You ever looked at a situation and said, oh, that's ridiculous. That infuriates me. La, 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 la. 
You don't have the right to do that. And that same quick, rash judgment that you make that is based on your logic, on your carnal desires, on your base nature, it seems right. I mean, after all, in meerkat manner to flower, it seemed right to eat someone else's children. <laughs> Felt right. It's what was in my heart. Wow, surely that makes it right, right? Wrong. Jesus only pronounced judgment about what He had heard from His Father. So it's a great question to judge or not to judge. What is the answer? You are not allowed personally to make judgments about anything based on your own nature, your own assessment. All of your judgments must come from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's easier said than done, is it not? Yeah, I love charismatic Christianity. We believe God speaks to us more often than the windshield wiper goes from one side of the car to the other. God speaks to Abraham every couple decades, but to us it's every few minutes. I'm not lessening the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. He corrects me. He encourages me. He speaks to me about God's Word, and that does happen on a daily basis. The number of times that God has parted the clouds in the heavens and spoke to me with Charlton Heston's voice from the sky, slightly less often. So how do you make these judgments? What do you do? What separates you from the mere base element in society? Romans says that as many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Why does Romans not say those who confess Jesus are the sons of God? Why does Romans not say those who came to an altar or in a garage church this tiny little step here? <laughs> those are the children of God. Because all of those things are outward things that can be done. But to be led day in and day out by God's Spirit requires you to put aside yourself and take on God's nature. And that's what He's after. He's after a people that reflect His glory. After a people that are His ambassadors. That's what He wants in you. We are not just regular old Joes. We're called to a much higher plane. So that we don't wear your fingers out turning Scriptures, you'll only have to turn a page or two. Go to John 7. Jesus again addresses this instance. This can be hard for my friends in Lafayette listening. We already talked about Jude, who happened to be a natural brother of Jesus. Well, watch this. In John 7, verse 1, we're going to read a little bit here, okay? So, y'all don't fall asleep on me. Read along with me. Help me. I mean, I rarely lie when I'm preaching, but you never know. You might ought to read, see if I'm telling you the truth. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because of the Jews there, waiting to take His life. John uses the word Jews to speak of the Jewish leadership. Jesus couldn't get away from Jews. All twelve of His disciples were Jews. Jesus was a Jew and the King of the Jews. John's speaking about Jewish leadership. But when the Jewish feast of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to Him, You can take a black highlighter to that if you don't like it. Of course, it won't help you with the truth. It'll just help your conscience. Jesus had natural brothers. We just talked about disciples. Now we're talking about brothers. You're going to find out they don't believe He's the Messiah. So that rules out brothers in the kingdom, doesn't it? Watch. Jesus' brothers said to Him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Can you imagine? They're lecturing Jesus. But let's be honest. You could rise to become the President of the United States. And there's one group of people in your life 
that would still feel as if you needed their advice and their correction. And that would be your family. Jesus was no different. In the third chapter of Mark, Mary and the brothers show up outside of the house hoping to take hold of Jesus, presuming that He was out of His mind. You know what Jesus' response was? Who are my mother and brothers? He who does the will of God. I've hung my hat on that verse. You know, I hope that all of my family follows God, but my real family is the family of God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's awesome. So His brothers are here and they're lecturing Him. Jesus, you want to become a public figure, you have to go to where all the people are. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, Jesus, if you're running for political office, if we're going to vote for Bobby Stevens as mayor of Houston, he can't hide in, I don't know, some tiny little Texas town. He can't, can he? He's got to be there so people know who he is. They know what he's about. That's what they're saying, isn't it? Doesn't that seem right? Well, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Why is it necessary to say they didn't believe in him? Because if they had believed that who he, who he said he was, then they wouldn't have found it necessary to try to correct his behavior, would they? They would have watched and learned from his behavior. I was speaking with somebody yesterday. And they said, corrections came so often. And everything that I did was second-guessed so much that I began to second-guess myself. We need to be careful what our words communicate to people. If everything Mandy does gets a slap on the wrist from Eric, eventually Mandy will think nothing that she does is right. Is that true? No. We have to be careful. Jesus' brothers saw something. They said, Jesus, this is not right, man. You're hanging out in Galilee. There's nobody in Galilee. Everybody who wants to become somebody great, which is not really what Jesus' desire was, needs to be in Jerusalem. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going to the feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Their mere natural instincts told them, now's the time. Jesus, you've done great miracles. Go present yourself to everybody. Now's the time. They thought Jesus was being foolish for not doing it. Come on, saints. Has God never spoken something to you? Put your last dollar in the hand of a widow so that you can turn on her lights. And somebody else looked at you and said, man, that's stupid. You don't take care of your own family, you're worse than the unbeliever. Have you never had anything like that? Has God never said, I want you to move from this job to this job? And somebody says, you know, wearing the title worldly wise man, you know, Natalie, that's just not very smart. You know? Following base natural desires. Is it wrong? Well, yeah, it's wrong. Is it malicious? No, of course not. They very well may have your best interest at heart. But we're not led just by our best interest. We're not confined to our Greek logic. Lord, if, <laughs> let's think about this. The Gospel itself, okay? Israel, coming out of Egypt, right? Coming out in power. God's delivering them by plagues. Plague after plague after plague. The power of the Egyptian Pharaoh broken. The people head out. God must have left, had leave of His senses. Why would He leave them out facing water on one side and Pharaoh behind them? God must not care. God must not be very smart. Must not be logical, right? Would not your natural instincts in you go, oh, let's pick some other way. 
We don't need to be hemmed in by the sea in Pharaoh on the peninsula. Now, am I the only one that thinks like that? Have you never been in a position and thought, surely this is my own doing? I screwed it up for sure. Because God would never put me in a position like this, thinking there is just no way. No way, no how. Your natural instincts in you are going crazy. I should be fearful. Something's wrong. Lost my income. I've lost my whatever, respect of my peers. Jesus said, for you, any time is right. The world deceives you. You're a part of its system. For me, the time is not yet right. They were following mere natural instincts. Jesus was waiting on a word from His Father. Having said this, He stayed in Galilee. However, after His brothers had left for the feast, He went also. I love that. I mean, I love that. It's like, no, I won't go with you, you carnal thing. For you, any time's right. Go to Mardi Gras. Go have a good time. I'm waiting on my Father's voice. They walk out the door and says, okay, now's the right time. <laughs> Perhaps he just wanted better company. There are times that my children are right. I listened to my son correct a 74-year-old man the other day. The difficult part for me was that what my son said was absolutely right and the 74-year-old man was absolutely wrong. But that didn't make it right that my son corrected him, did it? There are times that our natural instincts are just not the right thing to do. You know? It's kind of like truth. Truth is all we want. There's an absolute truth and truth is all we want. We're going to cling to the truth. The truth, the truth, the truth. Right? Everybody agrees with that, don't you? Yeah. What if I'm ugly? Right? What if I'm just hideous to look at? You walk in and say, Hi, Eric. You are hideous to look at. Is that the truth God's after? Yeah? Come on, guys. Do I look good in these jeans? Uh, that's a whole other subject, right? <laughs> yeah, I better move on, huh? See, that's wisdom up there. However, his brothers had left for the feast. He went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast of the Jews, the Jews were watching him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds, there was a widespread whispering about him. Some said, He's a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. Isn't it funny? No matter what you do, there are people in this world that will find evil in it. And there is always a remnant that will see it for what it is. It's good. I've always found it humorous. I was talking about a service the other day where I preached and some 30 people were baptized. You know? I thought that was pretty hard to look at negative. But what somebody else heard in it was, oh, Eric was arrogant. Well, that may be true. And probably much more which escaped his notice. But couldn't we find something good in the fact that 30 people were baptized? No matter what you do in life, you just prepare yourself. Some will see good in it and some won't. And it has more to do with their heart than yours. Get used to it. We're not going to follow our mere natural instincts. If you do, it will surely end in death. Proverbs says it twice. There is a way that seems, feels, is in you that seems right. But in the end, it leads to destruction. Verse 14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Oh, don't you love that? They're talking about Jesus. How did He get this learning without studying? Do you really think Jesus didn't study? I mean, at 13, He was correcting the Jewish leadership at His own bar mitzvah, asking them questions they could not answer. Do you really think that He did not study? What do you know about Jewish culture? By the age 
five, six. He probably had the first five books of the Bible memorized. You say, oh, but wait, this is Jesus. He is the Word of God. He didn't have to study. Then why does Luke say he grew in wisdom and stature? Why does the Bible speak of him learning things? Perhaps as Ephesians said, Philippians said, and Colossians says, he limited himself. Perhaps he became a human being just like you to set a good example for you to show you how this could be done. Is it true that he didn't study? No. Is it true that he didn't study with them at their schools? Yes. That's why they don't like him. That's why they don't like what's happening. Yeshua the Hamashiach was a rabbi of the first class order. I mean, he was teacher of teacher with his own students following him around, called disciples, later to be called apostles, wanting to imitate his every move. That was better. That was better than most of the rabbis of his day. But he didn't go to the right yeshiva. You don't know what that is? He didn't go to the right seminary. Go to a pastor's meeting sometime. Oh, you'll love this. Two questions come out of their mouth in the first two and a half minutes of conversation. So, Matthew, where'd you go to seminary? Matt says, I hadn't been to seminary. They said, well, how many are you running in church? We don't run at all. I dance a little. We say, what are you talking about? Two things men care about in today's religious environment. Where were you educated and how many people are listening to you? They don't receive Jesus based on the miracles that He's doing. They don't receive Jesus based on the truth. Their mere natural instincts say, He's not doing it our way. So we reject Him. Now that's them, those bad, bad people, right? Come on, tell the truth. When it doesn't go your way, how do you receive it? You ever planned a vacation? We're going to do this on Monday. We're going to do this on Tuesday. We're going to do this on Wednesday. And Monday comes, and there's a wrench thrown in the program. How does that make you feel? This is ruining my vacation. I thought we were going to go feed dolphins today, and instead, we're staring at a beautiful sunset in Hawaii. I can't believe this. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. How many times have we done something absurd like that? It didn't go my way. Base, natural instincts. It's normal for us to make our judgments this way. It's just not right. You know? It's absolutely within us. It's normal. It's the first thing that comes to mind usually. That's why we work to put that nature off and take on the nature of Christ. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from Him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether or not my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Is Jesus particularly burdened that they're not receiving him? No. I love him. You know, we'd get down, we'd cry, right? And get on the knee and say, If only Craig, Craig, if only Craig would be saved. Come on, we'll give you a gift certificate. We'll give you some donuts. You can be a leader in our church. You've seen it. You know you have. The offering plate comes around. I'm going to beg you for 45 minutes. If you put a dollar in, you'll get seven back. Seven hundred. Seven hundred thousand back. You'll get more in than you took out, or get more back than you put in. You've heard it all. Carnal, base nature, greed. Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at people and says, if you put your hand to the plow and turn back, you're not fit for my kingdom. He says, but teacher, how do I get eternal life? Sell everything you have and follow me. God is awesome. His ways are awesome. He is so awesome that He won't lower Himself to your base nature to appeal to it. You either follow Him or you reject Him by not following Him. 
Man's problem all along is we've wanted to reject God's counsel. Decide for ourselves what we should and shouldn't do. What is right and what is not right. That's in us. It's the knowledge of good and evil. Who would have thought that by knowing what was right and wrong, man would naturally choose what was wrong? We can't help it. It's in us. We need another power at work within our members. We need the Spirit of God teaching us how to choose what is right. Empowering us how to choose what is right. The problem is, is your flesh is loud, obnoxious, a bully. It's screaming, smack that guy! You know? Take it, take it into your own hands. Do it. They deserve it. You hear it all. Give him a piece of your mind. And the Spirit's in the back whispering, that's not the righteous life I want for you. You know? La, 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 You know? I got a revelation one time riding in a car I used to have. I had one of those things on the, the dashboard and it beeped at you. Ding, 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 ding. Seatbelt, seatbelt, seatbelt. I seriously considered cutting that component out of the dash. And I realized that is just like God's Holy Spirit. I know the seatbelt is good for me. I know that I know that I know. What's wrong with the seatbelt? I just don't want to wear it. I resent that something's there telling me what I want to do is wrong and the right that I should do is right there before me. I resent it. I hate it. I wish that that was not there. I almost removed it. And I realize that's just like the Holy Spirit's voice in my life. We do whatever we can to turn up the radio, to deafen it out, to not do the good that we know to do because we just want to do what we want to do, driven like dumb animals by our own instincts. I want to be more saints. I want to be more. I want to be the man of God I was called to be. I want to hear from God. Do what God says. Stand in the assurance that I know that I know. If I'm surrounded by armies on every side, God is with me because I've been with Him. There's no problem going through trials that you're positive you're in God's will. No problem at all. You're excited. You can look at the mountain and laugh. It's when you have... Bumped into every goad, every sharp instrument that God's used to direct you, that you're left in this valley of uncertainty, going, I haven't really been with God. Is He with me? And it's uneasy. And it's hard. Ever go to pray for healing for somebody that you know has hated God most of their life? You know? You give it that Peter prayer. Perhaps God will forgive you. Oh, I know preachers aren't supposed to say that. But the truth is, we've all felt like that, haven't we? Will God do it for We know God can do it, but will He do it for me? Well, the best way to gain assurance of that is to learn to tune into a spirit by tuning out your base natural instinct. Verse 18, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. Boy, the sin I've gotten into in my life because of my own honor. Your own honor is a horrible thing. It'll push you into a circle to fight with another man then laugh at you if you lose. <laughs> I heard about that from Matthew's life. <laughs> but he who works for, his, for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Oh, at this point they think Jesus is a schizophrenic. Something's wrong. He's a paranoid, delusional person. Nobody said they're trying to kill him. How did Jesus hear that? 
God's Spirit is telling him that. You know why they want to kill him? Because the last time he was in Jerusalem, on the Sabbath, on a day that the religious leadership said certain things could and couldn't happen, Jesus looked and said, ooh, that guy's been an invalid for 38 years. I'm going to heal him. On the Sabbath? We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. On the natural surface of things, a superficial glance said the rules are the rules. We could heal him on Sunday, not Saturday. We could heal him on Friday before 6 p.m. We can't do this. It's against the rules. Jesus was not bound by the mere appearance of things, though. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you're all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcised a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, then why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? You have things you do on the Sabbath. This is the thing that God told me to do on the Sabbath. Why are you angry? I love this line. Stop judging by mere appearances. Remember what mere meant? Being nothing more than what is specified. Stop judging by nothing more than the superficial appearance and make a right judgment. The right judgments come in our life by being sensitive to what God is trying to tell us. By being willing to recognize that your first instinct may not be the right instinct. That the reason your life is the way that it is is because you've always done what seemed right to you rather than what God's Word said. There's not a problem that the church faces that is not cured by God's Word. You would think that this would be the most read book in every house. D.L. Moody said that every Bible should be bound in elephant hide because it would be the most read book in the house. Two years after the Protestant Reformation, the average commoner on the street could quote more Scripture than any of those that had been in the priesthood for the several hundred years before that. But now that there is a Bible in the hand of every person, how often have you read it this week? Did you read 700 pages of some novel with a handsome guy or handsome girl on the front? Watch 47 hours of TV but didn't pick up God's Word to reshape your life? I have weeks like that and I'm a preacher. But they ought not be so. This ought to be reshaping our lives. Every era, error that we have comes from not correctly applying God's Word. Jesus looked at the Pharisees, by the way, who had all 39 books of the Old Testament memorized, said, you greatly err because you do not know the Scripture. How could He say they don't know it? They could recite it. Well, you can recite something that you've given no thought to how it applies to you. When we do learn the Word, let's be honest, saints, when you do learn the Word, what is the first thing you usually apply it to? Everybody else. Right? You sit and you hear a message and you say, wow, that's hard hitting, that's good. I so-and-so needs to hear that. <laughs> we even send CDs to people in links like, oh yeah, you above all people need this. If they above all people needed it, you wouldn't have been the first to hear it. When I sit down to think about a sermon, the first thing that hits me is, oh my God, the only reason I would be preaching this is because I need to hear it the most. We have a base nature that will lead us astray if we are not careful. Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances. Make right judgment. What's the answer to judge not lest you be judged? Don't judge by mere superficial worldly appearances. Make a right judgment. 
Turn with me to John 8, and we're going to move on. In John 8, which are to be half a page over in most Bibles, starting in verse 12, this is after the Feast of Tabernacles, a very important, awesome feast. Jesus is standing in the portico of a temple, like a, a porch area. Behind Him is a candelabra with many lights that had been added to through the centuries. <laughs> These lights symbolize God's presence leading Israel through the, the desert night and through the day by a pillar of fire in the sky. That's what it symbolized to them. God loved Jesus. Verse 12, When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, guys, that thing on the building up there, hanging off the Vatican or whatever other religious building you can think of, that's not what it's about. The life I'm living in front of you is God's will for each one of you. That's what He's teaching. You need to imitate Me. doesn't matter what dogma you've taken up. doesn't matter what creed you've pledged yourself to. You either are working to imitate Jesus or you're not. That's what He's teaching. The Pharisees challenged Him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. You want to know how the decisions you render can be right? You don't decide to render any decisions. There's a famous female preacher that said, if you have no responsibility, then you have no opinion. What do you think about Nick and Lindy? Well, I haven't thought about Nick and Lindy's argument. It was none of my business. Did you hear Pastor so-and-so and what he said? No, I'm not in that church. Come on, y'all. Everybody's going to go eat fried chicken after the service, Right? Something, not fried chicken. And the only thing that will be consumed more than the food that we eat after the service are the pastors that just preach their messages in the United States. Pastor went long again. Ah, oh, boy. I can't throw any stones there. He said this. He's so arrogant. He's so blah, 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 blah. You've heard it all. Poor people to get up to sing. She was out of tune. She was out of key. You know, can you believe she wore that? Man, I've said it all. I've done it all. I stand before you guilty of every one of these and a whole lot more that I haven't told you about. But I'm making a concerted effort for my life to change because I am called to so much more than this. There is certain behavior that is just beneath us as the children of God and I can no longer extend myself into that slime because I'm called heavenly, heavenward. I'm not alone. I stand with the Father. That's good stuff. I am not alone. I stand with the Father. How does a man in the 16th century stand before a whole world empire and say, you are wrong? And they say, we have centuries of tradition to back us up. Who are you to say we're wrong? Centuries of traditions going all the way back to the first pope. How does the man stand and say, nevertheless, you are wrong? Because he was not standing alone. He was standing with the Father. 
How is it that Joseph endures being thrown in a hole by his brothers, enslaved in Egypt, falsely accused? How is it that he rises to the top? How is it that he endures that? Because he was not alone. He stood with the Father. In fact, he craved the favor of the Father more than the favor of his brothers. It seemed to cause him to lose his life. But in the end, he gained it all, didn't he? Come on, y'all. Isn't that the Gospel? Quit hanging on to the respect of your peers. What difference does it make? Especially if your peers are destined for burning. Oh, we can't do that. I will. <laughs> and I don't have any problem telling who are my sisters. They're the ones that love the Word of God. That love God's Spirit. When you see people that delight in bad reports, whose feet are quick to run and do evil, the Bible doesn't say that God hates what they do. I know that's what you've heard. Look closer. It says He hates them. How can you preach that? People that delight in wickedness, God is against. Period. But the good thing is, none of us have to remain the way we are. There is a gift out there and empowerment for everyone to change. From John 8, let's move on to 1 Corinthians 2. I had a good friend who was just a 16, 17-year-old kid. And one of those kids that at times was capable of great wisdom, but it was shrouded in just a stupid 16-year-old kid. You know? I could come out with the glory of God at times. But in the next moment, he could be popping zits and playing Nintendo. I could have used a better phrase than that. huh? Sorry. God's still working with me. So he's in a coffee shop talking to this older woman who was very aristocratic, had her nails the right way, fingers heavily weighted with those shiny kind of materials, went to a very prestigious church. She said, all that stuff you're telling me is foolishness to me. He said, you know, it's funny. Apostle Paul said the same thing. To those without the Spirit, it would be foolishness. But to those with the Spirit of God, it would be life. She had never heard that verse before because she didn't read her Bible. They didn't teach that in her church. I never forgot it. I'd rather be thought a fool by the world and favored by God. You know how you get to be thought a fool by the world? Not following your base, natural, animal instinct. You remember that movie? I know none of you ever saw it. Of course not. Never even heard it, so I just tell you about it. There once was a movie called Basic Instinct, and it was about the worst instincts in human beings. It's nothing that we would willingly want to imitate, and yet when we reject the Spirit of God, all that same wickedness is found in us. And then it finally the world reveled in it. It's one of the more popular movies of the 1990s. I think they even recently made a second one. How people get bugged out, have aneurysms from cocaine and body gets degraded over 10 years, then they make another movie like that. I have no idea. But the world loves its own. Any time is right for them. They revel in failure. They revel in wickedness. There's a part of our nature that's drawn to it, but we have to reject it. Watch how it says it in 2 Corinthians. This is two, chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. <laughs> now, Paul was a Hebrew, but this is translated to us in Greek. Sometimes look up that word nothing. 
these leaders who are coming to nothing, it's not the absence of anything. That's what nothing tends to mean in English. It's not what it means in Greek. It's much closer to coming to dung, coming to refuse. <laughs> Their lives to turn out badly, is what he's saying. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When people shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Let His blood be on our heads and the heads of our children's children. When Pilate consented to it and condemned this man to death, they were following their base nature. They were fearful. They were jealous, some. They were greedy for powers. All the things found in the base nature of the human being. And if they had understood what was being done, they would not have done it. But like brute beasts, without the Spirit of God, they simply followed their mere natural instincts. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Where's that written? Hmm? Book of Isaiah. When was the book of Isaiah written? 740 years before Jesus. That's a long time ago from now, isn't it? In Isaiah's day, he said, Boy, no I seen. No mind has conceived. That was true in Isaiah's day. Or Isaiah wouldn't have written it. You know when it's not true? Now. Look at the next verse. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The reason the Holy Spirit was given the church is so that we would understand what was in the mind of God. Listen to how He explains it. The Spirit searches all things. That's everything. It leaves out no thing. You want to know what God thinks about anything? The Holy Spirit is searching it out for you. Even the deep things of God. For who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You want to know what God thinks? Get in fellowship with His Spirit. His Spirit was put in you. How did Jesus put it? To be your counselor. What are you going to talk to a counselor about? How to make decisions. How you should do certain things. How to be better than you are today. The Holy Spirit's given to us for that reason. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we may understand. Don't you dare look at me anymore and say, I just think we're not supposed to know. Oh, that Scripture, that's so hard. Who can know? That's just your interpretation. Maybe we're just not supposed to know. What an insult to God's Holy Spirit. He's searching everything out about God to reveal it to you. So, well, then why don't we know? Perhaps you haven't been in close enough fellowship with Him. What do you want to know? Get close to Him. Spend some time. Why do we have to be in a jail cell before we get desperate enough to say, God, move in my life? Why do you have to be in a prison of your own making before you cry out? It's given to us freely all of the time. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him even if she's a 60-year-old Presbyterian in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. When Paul wrote it, it was true then and it's true now. 
People are going to look at you and hear what you say that is motivated by the Spirit and it's going to seem stupid because it goes against the core of who they are. They're mere natural instincts. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen to this next verse. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. How is it that we can say, don't judge? You're commanded to judge. But you're commanded only to speak forth judgment that you have received from the Spirit. But anything that you want to know, anything that is important for your life, the Spirit can show you if you will listen. This is how you make the decisions in your life. You do the work to hear from God. Well, why do you call it work? Because you have to push out all of the other things that are competing for your attention. Drive down Interstate 45 and tell me what's competing for your attention. Every radio program is new and improved and trying to grab Nick Slaughter's attention. Every billboard's trying to grab us attention. Every restaurant saying, come in here, our food's the best. Everything in our society is competing for your attention. And then you're handicapped. Your flesh would rather do almost anything but hear that what it thinks is not right. You ever been really mad? I mean, really good and upset? Go pray. <laughs> Lord, I'm so mad at Cassidy, I could spit nails. Father, I want to hear your will. Right. Right. You can't hear over the deafening rage that is inside you. First, go get it right with Cassidy, then go pray. I left out something there that is fun for preachers. He said, Leave your gift at the altar and go get it right with Cassidy. But he said, Leave your gift. I'm kidding. <laughs> The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Boy, that's been misunderstood. I've heard from God. Who are you to tell me? Well, other people have the ability to hear from God too. Let's consider whether or not your radio dial is tuned 100% of the time or are you getting some interference from Mr. Flesh? Because I know I have. In the charismatic world, we justify everything with, I've heard from God. Right. I, I hope I don't ever have to do it to you. It's been done to me. And there's a couple of people that immediately come to mind when I think of this. I told one last week. I said, I want you to understand something, so-and-so. Nobody hears from God as much as you claim to. Nobody. And if you did, God does not change His mind every two hours. You do that, and then you lay it at the Lord's feet. And you know what? You defame Him by doing it. Come on, you've all known people like this. I heard from God to do this. Oh, it's unpopular. It's raining. It's not all that nice. Then God want me to do that over there. Not over there. Oh, then back here. We're the worst. And you'll bounce from church to church saying it's God. And from teaching to teaching saying it's God. And what you're really saying is I'm just not mature enough to endure criticism, counsel, or instruction. Mere man manner. What is mere man manner? That's a place where people have decided to congregate and they've agreed through business settings, through statements of belief, we're all going to agree. This is how we're going to handle every situation. Despite what the Spirit of God says, we're going to be like regular, natural folks in anything that makes us uncomfortable. We're just going to throw out. And they've been throwing them out for a very long time. And when the church that started after they're thrown out grows to be ten times the size of theirs and miracles are being done and the dead are being raised, they just stick their heads back in the hole say we're happy right where we are. Mere man manner. 
I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to build that here. I don't want to be a group of ferrets looking around or meerkats looking around doing everything based on our instincts, only worried about what's going to eat us, what's going to threaten us. I want to love boldly. I want to step out, be willing to be vulnerable. I want to be able to do what God does and do it proudly knowing I stand with the Father. My favorite song used to be, Though None Go With Me, until I realized the church that I was singing in it in would not go with me. Then it put a whole new slant on it. Now I like the ones Matthew's written. He'll go with me anywhere. Turn with me to John 10. We're going to close with this scripture. And I'm not lying to you, Nicholas. Somebody told me recently, do you know how many times you say you're going to close? I told you I rarely lie when I preach. I didn't say it never happens. In John 10, starting... This is comical up here, by the way. You wonder why I'm carrying around batteries and remote controls? That air conditioner that we got, we were so upset that all previous models failed to cool the room that we got one that will part your hair. And if I don't have weights on this stuff, it blows it off of the pulpit or changes the pages. John 10. Not a mere man. Let me read you the definition again of mere man. Being nothing more than what is specified. When somebody says you are a mere man, they're saying you're nothing more than the animalistic element of the human race. My son's already been taught in school that human beings are a part of the animal kingdom. I think he asked me something to the effect of, is that true? And I said, well, unfortunately it is for many human beings. Unfortunately it is. But I'm not a part of the animal kingdom. You know what distinguishes me from the animal kingdom? I'm not ruled by my instincts. I'm not even ruled by my logic, which is the other thing that we fall into all of the time. Well, this seems reasonable. I don't care how it seems to you. How reasonable is it when God tells you to go put your hands on someone so that they can get up out of a coffin? What's the first thing that goes through your mind? What if it doesn't happen? Well, in all your reasoning, you're not allowed to reason God out. He has the right to speak. He has the right to have you do what He wants you to do. That's what makes Him God and you not. So what does it mean when He tells you to do something and you say no? It means you've become God and He's not. That's a bad place to be, isn't it? Okay, John 10, 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication. I love these Jews. They have as many feasts as we did in South Louisiana. You know? An excuse to get together and eat. You know what the Feast of Dedication is? It's not Christmas. It's Hanukkah. You mean Hanukkah is biblical? Yeah. But find me Christmas in there. Oh, well. <laughs> Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It... By the way, I celebrate Christmas and I'll even dress like a big red fat guy with a gray beard because it's fun for the kids. I'm not... Anyway. It was winter. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around Him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Come on, they say what you think. You know, we go, oh, those stupid, unbelieving Jews. How could they have not seen the Messiah? Same way we don't see Him. Same way you hear from Him one day and then act like you never heard Him the next. You want to know what a mere man is? Think about Peter, right? Think about this. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ! You are the Son of the living God! I mean, awesome, right? Man of power right there. He is from God. Blessed are you, Simon. 
For this was not given to you from men, but from heaven. Read the next paragraph. Jesus is talking about going to the cross, right? Talking about dying. Peter says, Oh no, Lord, never! Never will you go to the cross. He said, Get behind me, Satan. You always have in mind the things of men. What is it to be mere minds? To have in mind the things of men rather than God. Peter who meant well. Peter who heard from God in one minute submitted to his base nature the next. And said, no, I'm not going to let hurt you, Jesus. You think Jesus needed somebody to protect him? That's like Judah saying, get behind me, Dad. Nobody's going to hurt you. <laughs> it's sweet. But it's a little misdirected, isn't it? If I'm attacked by a dog or something, then I'll throw him out there and say, protect me. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You won't get people to call your 1-800 prayer line with that kind of talk, will you? You certainly can't build the gymnasium. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. They believe me. They recite my word. They think about me. They pray to me. No. They follow Him. How do you know if you're His disciple? You do what He says to do. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of My Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I don't have time to tell you about how wonderful that is, but let's move on. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone Him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone Me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, you who are nothing more than a regular, ordinary man. Now, is that true? Of course it's not true. Jesus had something inside of His regular, ordinary man. And it was the Spirit of the living God. He had it to the extent that He was declared to be the visible image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwelling in a human being. Certainly a mere man. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? Well, I bet you never heard that quoted in church. That's Psalm 82. I don't have time to read Psalm 82, but in Psalm 82, God says, Quit acting like mere men. You'll die in your sin like mere men if you don't do what God does. I've said you're gods. Take up the cause of the widow. Take up the cause of the oppressed. Fight against injustice. For this is what God says in the great assembly. That's what Psalm 82 says. Act like me. Do what I do, not what the regular old human race does. If He called them gods to whom the Word came, and the Scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as His very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's Son? Hear this line, saints. This is what we want to be able to say. Do not believe me as I do what my Father does. Come on, that's not what you've heard your whole life. What you've heard is, do as I say and not as I do. That's what the church says to the world. 
Do what we say we believe and not as you see us act. This is not how our king said it. He said, don't believe me. Do not believe me unless you see me acting in accordance with what I say. If I don't walk it, then you have every right not to believe me. But if I do walk it, then you need to believe the action right before your face. That's what he's teaching. Saints, I'm telling you today, you are more than just regular old human beings. You are called to something that is so much higher. It debases us to act like regular people. We need to be able to stand at the world and say, hey guys, look, I am not perfect, but I'm asking you to believe me because you have seen over the last so many years of my life, this is real and it is working in me. I'm telling you that I am truly more following the Spirit of God than indulging my sinful flesh. You need to listen. If it were not my life, if it were not things I were doing, I wouldn't ask you to listen. You need to be able to do that. You see the apostles do it over and over and over. Paul said one time a phrase that makes me shudder. He goes, you know yourself how holy, righteous, and blameless I was among you. I thought, can you imagine me writing a letter to Joel going, you know how holy... I, I can't even imagine it. But then Paul had been beaten for the Gospel and not recanted. He had been stoned and raised from the dead. He had been shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, eaten by countrymen, and in danger everywhere he went. Do you think it was real in his life? Guys, we are called to more than mere... You heard the book, Mere Christianity? There is no such thing. There is no such thing. You are called to a spiritual walk with a spiritual God. We're closing. You are uh, seated in the heavenly realms with God. You are a son of God. You are a co-heir. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are clothed with Christ. You are strengthened with all power. You are a holy and royal priest. You are an ambassador of God. And so many more things that the Scripture declares. Let's look at the world and say, don't believe me unless you see it in me. And then live it. Put aside our base nature and take on the nature of God. Stand up. Let's pray.